This coverage is live and uncensored. So if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. going on guys my take radio episode 192 for thursday july 18th 2013 i'm your host rich and our call in number is 347-324-3541 again our call in number 347-324-3541 all right so it is sweltering here in new york city and i actually have an air conditioner on so by all means please let me know if it is a distraction and i will shut it off to not interfere with the broadcast because obviously sound quality is key. Anyway, we got a lot to discuss this week. There's a lot going on. I've had a uh, an interesting week to say the least and um, usually when I have those kind of weeks, it carries over well into the show. That's usually the way it works. So let's get right into some housekeeping and take care of some stuff. And um, I got a, a monologue for this week as well. So first up, uh, well... We, well, you know what? I'll save that for my monologue. I'll go into some of the other stuff. A um, couple of announcements for the site. We've been making some enhancements on the back end. We've um, installed a brand new CDN, which allows the site to load faster. Even though we are still experiencing uh, some hiccups with it, uh, we managed to increase our load time from about eight seconds down to four. And it's still a work in progress. We're still working on it, but. Please bear with us because it'll take a couple of days for the CDN to populate and for that stuff to run smoothly. But if you guys experience any issues, by all means, please let me know and we will try and accommodate you as best we can. Mortis is already off to a great start, putting up some great articles on the site. He shared some information about the Steam sale. He also put up a review for the new Mass Effect Foundation comic. Make sure to check that out on MyTakeRadio.com. Also, if you're heading to the movies this weekend to check out Pacific Rim, make sure to check out our reviews, my a review from Slick and also a review from myself as well uh, with regards to Pacific Rim. I'm sure it'll answer all your questions and let you know if it's worth a trip to the box office. We also put up some new stuff today, posters for the Hunger Games. We got a ton of stuff for San Diego Comic-Con 2013 to put up. Over the next few days, we got some game reviews. Um, we also have some unboxings and some other stuff for our YouTube channel. We um, actually posted a review for an iRig mic, which I got from IK Multimedia. We got to test that out. Uh, you can check out the review for that on the site as well. I'm actually going to be using that in the coming weeks to do you know run and gun interviews and stuff like that while I'm on the go, just to be able to have another way to pick up audio content that's better than carrying a microphone or carrying my recorder with me as well. 
Uh, we also have a giveaway, which I'm going to try and do this weekend. We got a UFC fan book. We also have a Damson Twist speaker. It's a wireless Bluetooth speaker, which we're going to give out. I'm thinking maybe we're going to give that out on the site as well. And that should be happening probably Sunday, uh, Monday the latest. We'll see where it goes. Also, we have, which is pretty cool, uh, we're well past 25,000 fans on YouTube, but I was just informed that if we get 1,000 subscribers, we'll be able to broadcast the show live on YouTube as well. So if you guys are consistent YouTube users and you want to do us a favor and hit us with a subscribe, we would really appreciate it. Same thing goes if you're getting the show via iTunes. By all means, please leave us a review. It helps us climb up the rankings and, of course, helps us get noticed. All right, so this week's there's a couple of things I want to discuss uh, for this week's quote-unquote monologue. First off, I want to get into this week. This week has been a very interesting week for yours truly. It's been a week of madness and a little bit of soul-searching and some stuff, and I'm going to get into a couple of things. Um, Some of the stuff some of our staff already has discussed with me and I've discussed with them, but I want to, as always, be an open book and share some things with you guys. Anyway, this um, this past week we sent in our press paperwork for New York Comic Con, which um, if you guys have been following us all these years, you know that we have been covering New York Comic Con from 2009 all the way through 2011. As of 2012, they decided to change the requirements, which, of course, for whatever reason or another, did not get us credentialed. Okay, last year we didn't get credentialed. I was super pissed. And um, the crazy thing is I was pissed because I know for a fact that everything that embodies New York Comic Con, we embody on the show. Comics, video games, entertainment geek culture, cosplay, you name it, we cover it. Whether it's on the site, on our fan page, or on the show, I feel that we deliver probably some of the most diverse content out there. I'm serious. I mean, you can go and you can read the IGNs and the Kotakus and all that stuff. That's great. And, you know, they all have their great stuff. But we give you guys a little bit of everything. I think the only the only guys close enough to how we do it probably are 411 Mania, um probably just because they've been around for so many years and and I, I love those guys hell I wrote for them once or twice I remember the old days before 11 so you know those are guys I respect and I admire and I admire their placement and how hard they've worked to get to where they are which brings us to today which is of course uh, new applications got put in for New York Comic Con 2013 and um Got my response, and once again, we did not get credentialed for New York Comic Con. Now, we are in June, well, we were in June when I applied. I put our paperwork in at the end of the month in June. New York Comic Con is not till October, so it wasn't a question that we applied too late. Uh, I emailed them back, and I, and I was curious. I really am curious to know where the, put it like this, where... Where the credential process changed that it excluded us for two years, considering that in 2009, when we were just getting started, 2010, when we were hitting our stride, and 2011, when we were on the fucking ball, you know, we weren't, we weren't as secure as we are now. 
I, I'll be honest, and, and, and again, I'm fully transparent with you guys. We average about 5,000 downloads a month. I kid you not. About 5,000, sometimes six, it depends. Not to mention um, 2,000 live listens on the show, Not our Mixler numbers, our app numbers, our website traffic, our Alexa ranking, which is what you use to, what a lot of companies use to determine website traffic. We have high Alexa placement. So I, I'm curious for somebody to tell me exactly where we went wrong or what exactly are we missing that eliminates us. Now, it's easy for me to say, you know, it's easy for me to say, oh, you know, why does this guy get credentialed? Why does that guy get credentialed? Well, I'm going to be I'm going to be completely honest with you guys with regards to that. I can understand if a website that I frequent or a person I knew was got credentialed and whatever, you know, they, they got credentialed and they've earned it. But I'm talking about dudes who, you know, when you run their quote unquote Alexa numbers, they rank lower than we do. Not only that, but they don't cover a fraction of what we do. Some of those guys only cover games. And I understand Comic-Con has become more about games now, but still we cover comics and a ton of other shit. But, you know, those guys, you see them running around. Oh, my God, I got credentialed. And I'm just like, oh, that's great. But what exactly do you do? And that's the kind of shit that, you know, really, really kind of gets my goat. Only because, like I said, it's it's weird that for three consistent years, we've delivered three years of consistent content. And for the last two, all of a sudden, we just we just can't get our foot in the door. So I'm going to I figure I'm going to try my hand and reapply, see what happens. And if we get denied, then fuck it. It is what it is. But you know, those the, the, a couple of people who are running the shit and are and are doing certain things behind the scenes that I don't like, you know, they they may have to get kicked in front of a bus within the next coming weeks. That's just how shit is. Um but like I said, I was I was annoyed frustrated, uh, disappointed just because, you know, we've been, we've been doing this for four years, busting our ass, doing, doing hard work. And, you know, think about that. I'm going to give you guys some, some crazy numbers and I'm going to kind of wrap it up. We do, we do a three hour show. I get off air at 2 AM, right? From two 30 till about four 15 in the morning, I am editing the show for release either late Friday night or early Saturday morning. It varies, obviously, schedule permitting. Couple that with all the articles and shit we put up, monitoring the fan page, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So in editing the show alone, you know, I spend two to three hours tops. I wake up, my day starts usually about 7 a.m., get my sister ready for school, et cetera, and from my phone, wherever I am plugged into the matrix, I make sure to keep the site and the fan page running. Not only that, but of course we got a great team of individuals that keep things running while, you know, in instances where I'm running around a wall, you know, slick blade, uh, Jay Santi, quark, Andrea, you name it, mortis with, with content as of late, it's, it's crazy, but I figured I would just, like I said, share my frustration with you guys. So the other thing I wanted to mention is, um, Billy Nichols from Structure Gaming is doing an event, I believe, in September for a um, for a, for a colleague that he knew 
that actually passed away. And um, pretty cool what he's doing. Pretty cool. They're going to do some like live streaming and stuff. Uh, the individual, I believe, uh, he actually committed suicide, which is fucked up in, in it all its own. But it's it's insane. The the guy the guy who he's doing it for is um, Jock Cooper, and um, he was a Marine, a uh, friend of uh, Billy Nichols and Structure Gaming. And what they're going to do is on September 8th, they'll be hosting a 24-hour live stream to honor, of course, their their fault, you know, their fallen comrade and their friend. And you know, it's a pretty cool move. And um, you know, I figured I'd share it with you guys in case you guys want to check out the stream. Uh, Billy Nichols did give us the assist last year in brawling for boobies, so I figured I'd repay the favor and not for nothing. This is for a good cause. But you know what? Let's not kid ourselves. He won't even know I gave you guys this announcement because he doesn't listen to the show. <laughs> let's not let's not kid ourselves folks you know cool dude it keeps it you know nice guy and all but yeah man listen to the show all the time the show is awesome yeah but he probably will never know that i shared his event with you guys just because you know it is what it is it's like it's like being friends with somebody who talks about a whole bunch of nonsense and they'll be like hey man did you watch x movie and you don't want to make them feel bad and you just go yeah yeah i watched it oh did you like that one part and you got to be like uh-huh yeah it was cool that's pretty much what this is so again you want to check it out um i'll, I'll put the event link in the show notes and if you guys want to participate or watch it or possibly donate some money the proceeds are going to go to the american foundation for suicide prevention so like i said very cool what he's doing goes down september 8th uh from 12 p.m. September 8th to 12 p.m. September 9th. But, like I said, he probably won't even know that I announced this on air. Anyway, let's get into uh, this week's monologue. A couple of things I wanted to discuss. Uh, last week, I discussed race. Quite a bit, actually. Quite a bit. We were discussing race. We were discussing uh, Zimmerman and Paula Dean. And needless to say, my Twitter timeline was full of interesting comments from a multitude of people for some of my views. A couple of people reached out to me and they were just like, I can't believe, you know, you go, you went on air and you said it the way you said it. But let's let's fast forward to this week. Uh, obviously, if you haven't been living under a rock, you know that George Zimmerman is a free man. Obviously, a jury of, you know, nine women or eight women, whatever it was, were like, yeah, you know, he's, he's innocent. And they let him go. And that, six, thank you, Slick. And they, you know, they let him walk. It is what it is. So here's, here's what I got to say. Everybody once again, goes to Twitter, goes to Facebook immediately. Oh, no justice, blah, 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 blah. I, I, I know a dude. I kid you not. I know a dude. And he wrote this real impassioned uh, statement on Twitter about, about Trayvon Martin. And he closed it out by saying, hashtag, I am Trayvon Martin. And I laughed. I laughed because I'm friends with the dude and I'm not going to put him on blast because he's, he's a nice guy and all. But how could you be Trayvon Martin if you sell drugs or, you know, you occasionally, you know, might borrow some parts from a car or two for, from, the, from the amount of time I've known you. 
uh, kind of the inappropriate hashtag to use. And all I said when he wrote it, I was like, uh, right. Because it's, it's very interesting for people to come out of the woodwork and use things like I am Trayvon Martin, blah, 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 blah. Listen, and, and this is something I put out there for everybody. We are living in an age where, and I've said this before, the pussification of America is running rampant. I'm going into like Zeb Coulter territory, but not really in the sense that everything offends everybody. Everybody gets bent out of shape about everything. And there's far more important shit to, to be worrying about. Obviously George Zimmerman walked. You want to protest? That's great. You want to go out there and, and, and make your voice heard. That's fantastic. But don't think that fucking 140 characters is going to make a difference. Don't think that a lengthy, impassioned response on Twitter with some sort of a hashtag is going to make a difference. You're just doing it to make yourself feel good. It's the same thing I say when people say, yo, man, I'll pray for you. Get the fuck out of here. Not doing shit. Slacktivism at its best. Which leads me to something very interesting we were talking about when I was talking about the many different types of crime associated with races. And this is something where, you know, we were talking about it at work, me and and my colleague who I work with. And he was like, yeah, man, you know, Trayvon Martin's walking down the street, minding his own business. This dude runs up on him because he thinks he looks suspicious. And he's like, you know what? It could have been any of us walking down that street and we'd look suspicious too. And I'm like, yeah, but that's because... All of us, in some shape, way, or form, have our own type of crimes. And when when you're asking yourself, what the hell does he mean we all have our, our own types of crimes? I'll tell you, I'll, let me start with myself. I am Puerto Rican, for, for, for lack of a better term. Even though I was born here in New York City, I am a U.S. citizen, whatever, my bloodlines go back to the wonderful island of Puerto Rico. As, as, as a Puerto Rican, we have certain stereotypes that we are known for. Many, many, many including, uh, you know, the, the usual, having too many kids, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I just want to talk about crimes. Usually, when, when Puerto Ricans are involved, you got a couple of different crimes that are signatures for us. Number one, our women like to cut each other's faces with razor blades of some sort. That's what our women like to do. That's one of their things. We are also known for abusing the fuck out of free government programs. I know plenty of motherfuckers who work off the book jobs and collect food stamps. I know, I know you bastards. I know you personally, which is terrible, but it is the truth. And I'm not saying guys that make less than $25,000 a year who are, who are eligible. I'm talking about dudes that are like 40 K off the books and are claiming government aid. That's the kind of shit we do. Uh, stripping cars, we do that shit too. Stealing car stereos, yep, we're all about that. We're all about street gangs. We're all, we, we have our niches of crimes. Let's move into if you are African-American or, or, or let's just say if you're black. If you're African-American, you know you're going to shoot your own people. It happens. You're going to do that. You are going to be part of some sort of a gang. You're going to do that as well. You will probably rob one of your own people for sneakers. It's going to happen. You may shoot a kid for a jacket with an eight ball on it. 
possibly. You may or may not instantly get into a fight with a cop over nothing. A traffic stop, possibly. That's the kind of shit. If you, if you, and, and you know, if you want to talk about people that are uh, uh, Caucasian or white, taking a page out of Patricia, Patrice O'Neill's book, uh, we, you guys get uh, child pornography, uh, serial killers. Serial killers are good. Usually motherfuckers that have three names. Um, you guys are all about uh, different types of drugged out armed robberies, usually Walmarts. Um, always some sort of a some sort of a, of a fight in a Walmart, but that that applies to minorities as well. You know, you guys have your own your your own shit. Um, Asian people have uh, trafficking, sex trafficking, uh, Chinese gangs running nail salons. Uh, you guys have triads, the yakuza. Uh, everybody has ethnic crimes, like. The funny thing is that people are sitting there and the reason I went into that is because they're everybody's sitting there like, yeah, man, you know, kid was minding his own business. He got stereotyped. We all get stereotyped. We all do. I can guarantee you that anybody in this chat that's listening to this show has walked into a store owned by, by, a, by a Chinese person or a Korean person and been followed around the store. It's happened. I guarantee you, you've walked into a gas station with a complete bathroom that you know is there and it's run by people that are Pakistani or Indian and you go, hey, can I use your bathroom? And they look at you and they tell you to your face, no, not happening, doesn't happen. And that's the kind of shit I'm talking about. We, we live with our stereotypes. We live with them. You know how many people I know that are Puerto Rican darker than me and racist racist as fuck against everybody else but it's like where are you hiding your big lips and your flat feet where you look like the stereotypical cartoon that they used to fucking draw back in the old days you look like somebody that would be in a Bugs Bunny cartoon and you're being racist the late Patrice O'Neill said it best the sooner we we, we embrace our hate of our fellow man, the sooner we can move the fuck along. Seriously. And and I'm going to be honest to close things out. If you want to make a difference and you want to do something, instead of writing a 140 character update or writing some bullshit on Facebook, you know what you should do? Volunteer somewhere. Why don't you do that? Go and volunteer somewhere. Go, go do something right with your time and make some sort of a difference if you're a parent instead of putting mock outrage why don't you go to your kids parent teacher meetings and see what they're doing so that they don't grow up to be some sort of a scumbag or some sort of an asshole or some sort of other statistic that we don't like to talk about because that's what we do we bitch and bitch and bitch and bitch and bitch and nobody looks in their own backyard to take care of their own shit i'll be the first one to tell you i'm a piece of shit i am an asshole but you know what I do? I go to every meeting for my sisters, good or bad. I raise, I try to raise money for breast cancer awareness and not hate the disease utterly. I try to do as many good things as possible to balance out the shittiness that resides in my soul. Simple as that. The sooner we can embrace that shittiness, the sooner we can move the fuck along. 
So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That is this week's monologue. I'd like to thank uh, the late Patrice O'Neill for the inspiration and Bill Maher, of all guys, for uh, giving me the fuel for this week. Not to mention, of course, um, John Blade, who I always test out this stuff on to see what he has to say. Anyway, let's not drag this out any further, and let's talk about some MMA, because there is quite a bit to discuss. Let's get that ball rolling, shall we? Let's get into this week's MMA news, and I want to first discuss Invicta FC6. Uh, the, the ladies of Invicta put on a tremendous, tremendous card. Probably one of their best. I mean, every Invicta card is solid, but these fights, this is one thing that, that I love about, about women's mixed martial arts. These women go out there, beat each other to death, and um, allow me to open this monster one second. Can't have a monster without MTR. Anyway, so as I was saying, you know, these girls, they go out there. Yeah, if they legit hate each other, they go in that cage. They beat the shit out of each other. After the fight's over, they take some selfies. They go on Instagram. They wear some really tight clothes. You get the idea. But anyway, what I'm saying is that the girls go out there and they leave it all in the fucking cage. They don't go and lay and pray and smother and cover. They go out there to beat the holy hell out of each other. It's all about submissions, broken bones, and violence. And Invicta FC definitely embodied that. I was very bummed. Uh, one of my favorites, Rose Namajunas, she actually um, lost her fight via unanimous decision against Tessia Torres in a fucking war. It was 15 minutes of war. Namajunas, of course, went for her signature flying armbar in the first round, which was ridiculous to say the least. It was definitely a very good fight. Um, Tessia Torres, though, she looked she looked good, though. She looked very aggressive. That fight could have gone either way. As a, as a fan of Namajunas, I felt I felt robbed. I was like, yo, what the fuck, man? But it is what it is. But she's she's a fucking warrior, dude. Do yourselves a favor. Uh, follow her on Twitter or follow her on Instagram. Or follow Pat Barry because Pat Barry is her is her boyfriend, her significant other, and they share some some crazy pictures. They're super cool. That, that that's on my uh, wish list. An interview with uh, Rose and Pat Barry. Another fight I wanted to talk about was Beck Hyatt. She took on Mizuki Inoue. Uh, Beck Hyatt's been getting a lot of press lately. Super cute from Australia. Um, really awesome fighter. She had a tremendous fight for for the belt against Carla Sparza. And it she just goes out there and is always entertaining to watch. She lost her fight via unanimous decision. I was not faring well with my picks uh, for this card. But there were some good ones. Jessica Penny and uh, Nigdali Kalanak had an awesome fight. Jessica Penny took that fight uh, via rear naked choke. Uh, Jennifer Maya and Leslie Smith beat the holy hell out of each other with Leslie Smith taking the victory via unanimous decision. Uh, one fight, of course, that everybody was talking about was Marlos Kunin and Christian Cyborg Santos. That was for the Invicta Featherweight Championship, and it was all Cyborg from bell to bell, fist to face, fist to face, violence upon violence, strikes upon strikes. It, it was it was to the point where I said, "Damn, shit is shit is banana." 
That that's pretty much it. I was just like, shit is fucking. It wasn't even bananas plural. It was like shit is banana because there's always jokes about um, cyborg and oh she's a dude and blah. Look, she went in there and she beat up. Um, you know, she 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 fought Marlu's Coonan pretty much like like a dude. It was it was ridiculous. Um, hold on a minute. I see that Suncast is telling me about my audio. He's saying that the audio is not good. Huh. I didn't change anything. Uh, he's saying that the audio is questionable. Let me see. Maybe it is the AC. This is what happens when I don't want to sweat to death. You know what? Bear with me one second. I'm shutting this AC off. Pray for my sweating soul. All right. There we go. The AC is off. (sighs) Prepare to sweat, ladies and gentlemen, because that's what's going to (laughs) happen. Anyway, so, as I was saying, um, Cyborg had a tremendous fight against Marlos Kunin, super impressive. Of course, uh, the talk of the super fight with Ronda Rousey always gets brought up, and uh, I don't know, it, it, it could still happen. It could definitely still happen. Uh, props to Mortis for reminding me that Cyborg did drop her married name because she is no longer uh, Santos. I forgot what her, what her maiden name was. Sue me, I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, but it was, uh, it was a tremendous fight. An ass whooping from start to finish. Anyway, speaking of which, who got some fight bonuses? Leslie Smith and Jennifer Maya got fight of the night. Jessica Penny got submission of the night. And Miriam Nakamoto got knockout of the night. The ladies, of course, just deliver all the time. I can only pray that they get either a Showtime deal or a Spike TV deal. Whatever the case is, these ladies deserve it. They go out there. They leave it all in the cage. Don't get me wrong, the UFC has tremendous fights, but but these ladies go out there every time to make a fucking statement. Nobody nobody said it better than than Tommy Tollhold with his recap this week, which I shared, and it was that these that these ladies just beat the holy shit out of each other. Anyway, let's get into this week's MMA news. We got injury bug news just striking all over the place. Uh, Josh Koscheck got injured. He's out of his fight with for UFC 163 against Damian Maya. So. Not happening. That fight has been scrapped. Um, Vinny Magalesh and Anthony Paroche gets promoted to the main card. That card goes down August 3rd in Rio. Jose Aldo, the Korean zombie, for the featherweight title. Bill Davis and Machida. Co-main. Uh, Cesar Ferreira, Clint Hester is on that card. John Lineker, Phil Harris, Vinny Magalesh, and Anthony Paroche got promoted to the main card. On the prelims, Sheila Gaff, Amanda Nunes, Neil Magny's taking on uh, Sergio Moraes. Talis Latis is taking on Tom Watson. Josh Clopton is taking on Ronnie Yaya. And Bristol Marunde is meeting Viscardi Andrade on the prelims. Robert Drysdale is supposed to be fighting on that card, but it's been rumored that he is injured as well. So that may not be going down. Yeah, I know, Mortis. Anthony Parosh is still in the UFC. I asked myself the same fucking question, but I think that if he loses this this fight, that might be it for him as well. Um, like I said, Robert Drysdale, he might be out due to a staff infection. He's scheduled to take on Arnaldo Oliveira. So 
I mean, it, it, it's, it's still on the site. If you go to UFC.com, it's still there. But you never know, they may scrap that fight. The other big injury news I wanted to talk about this week, and it's something that of has been of much discussion, is the changing of the lightweight title fight, which is TJ Grant was supposed to take on Benson Henderson. Turns out that TJ Grant is injured, and he is out of his fight with Benson Henderson for UFC 164. He will now be replaced by Anthony Showtime Pettis. So that will be your new main event taking place in uh, Showtime's hometown of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Now, of course, everybody's been talking about the fact that, you know, TJ Grant is injured in quotes and that Dana White tossed him a shitload of money for him to drop out and uh, for the better fight to take place between Pettis and Henderson. Look, man, this isn't boxing. I doubt it happened, but stranger things have happened. And honestly, not to say that it was bad, but... I'm sure TJ Grant and Benson Henderson would have had an awesome fight, but Joe uh, Benson Henderson and Showtime is just it just needs to go down because I'm sure we may get a Showtime kick or some other crazy shit or who knows perhaps a new lightweight champion will be crowned. Quinn Mulhern is also out of his fight. Um, he's being replaced by Ali Akinta at UFC 164 against Ryan Couture. Um, Quinn Mulhern fractured his hand. So, um, pretty crazy. So, there you have it. Now, this card, the Benson Henderson Pettis card, has some great fights. Josh Barnett, Frank Mir, Clay Guida, Chad Mendez, Eric Koch, Dustin Poirier, uh, Ben Rothwell, and Brandon Vera. Glayson Tebow taking on Jamie Varner. It's going to be a badass fight. Uh, Chico Camus is taking on Kyung Ho Kang. Soa Palale is taking on Nikita Krylov. Uh, Louis Gadonat is fighting on that card. Derek Brunson is fighting on that card as well. Uh, Pascal Krause is also on that card. And, of course, Ryan Couture taking on Al Iaquinta has been added to that card. Dana White was on ESPN SportsCenter earlier this week announcing that Anderson Silva, Chris Weidman, too, will go down at UFC 168 on December 28th, bumping Ronda Rousey versus Misha Tate to the co-main event of the show. Not a bad deal. Anderson Silva puts out some video talking about that. I am back. I'm back. I'm back. I'm like, dude, you shouldn't have fucking left. You weren't, be- you weren't, you shouldn't have even left and been back. Nobody told you to dangle your chin out there. Like, 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 like a dog's balls. Let me dangle my chin out there with a guy who has cinder blocks for fucking hands. Yeah, I'm just going to do that. And then, and then you're stuck. You're stuck with the big, you got knocked the fuck out face. That's what happened to you. But you're talking about, I'm back. I'm back. I'm ready. I'm coming for you, Chris Wiener. I'm coming for Shut up. I like Anderson Silva, but it's like, dude, you don't need to put out no video that you're back. You need to walk in the cage and not get knocked the fuck out. That's what you need to do. I'm back. I am back. Stupid. I mean, I'm pumped for the fight. Don't get me wrong, but come on. Stop it. Talking about, I'm back. It's ridiculous. Completely ridiculous. But... I, I, I am pumped to see it, don't get me wrong, and I know Rousey and Tate is going to end violently either with Ronda Rousey walking out of the cage with Misha Tate's arm in her purse, or maybe Misha Tate just getting murder-death killed on the way to the cage when, as Ronda Rousey tries to kill Brian Caraway. Who knows? I was bummed to find out that um, Josh Salmon and Uriah Hall was off because um, Josh Salmon was injured 
He, of course, had replaced Nick Ring. Now it turns out that both guys are out, and John Howard will be returning to the UFC, first fight in the UFC in two years, to take on Uriah Hall for UFC on Fox Sports 1, going down at the TD Garden in Boston. Definitely looking forward to that. There's going to be tremendous, tremendous violence with that fight. John Howard is no joke, and Uriah Hall is definitely looking to redeem himself going into this card couple of shows back i talked about vladimir matushenko being signed by bellator his debut is official for september 13th he will be headlining that bellator card taking on former light heavyweight champion christian umfumbu so there you have it uh pitbull foray and diego nunez is going to be on that card as well shabala shamalaev he's taking on a cop stepanyan uh days green is taking on fabricio of guerrero and joe tiamanglo is taking on andrew fisher so there you have it on the Bellator side of things. That's actually going to wrap up this week's MMA news. We got a ton of wrestling to discuss, so let's get right into it, shall we? We want the gold, sucker! Hulk Hogan, we coming for you, nigga! So let's get into wrestling for this week. And there was a lot of crazy stuff going on on the wrestling side of things. Of course, the biggest being money in the bank. I can sum up this card with two words. Holy shit. From start to finish, an incredibly solid card. Uh, Let's get into the matches. The Usos took on uh, the Shield. Romans and Reigns went in there and had a great match with the Usos. Had a lot of great spots. We got a little Tower of Doom spot, which was cool. Match ended with Reigns hitting the spear uh, on Jimmy Uso. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it was, a, it was a great match. I really enjoyed it. I think the Usos have tremendous chemistry. I'm very, very happy to see WWE utilizing them correctly, the right way. I mean, don't get me wrong. You kind of wanted them to get put over, but still, they look competitive in there. They didn't look like complete fucking jobbers, and I was thoroughly Thoroughly impressed. Next up, we had our World Heavyweight Champion contract, Money in the Bank, which was bananas to say the least for a couple of reasons. Odds, The odds-on favor for me personally going into this card was Wade Barrett getting redemption and getting the Money in the Bank briefcase, but we were hit with the almighty swerve as Damian Sandow collects the briefcase and is your number one contender for the World Heavyweight Championship. Of course, this at the expense of former best friend and tag team partner Cody Rhodes. Now, here's here's a couple of things. There were a, a bunch of great spots. I was thoroughly impressed with Dean Ambrose being able to hang in there. There were moments where I said, holy shit, they might pull the trigger and let Ambrose win it. Super impressed from start to finish. Cesaro, as usual, even out of his element, looked tremendous. Damian Sandow pushes Cody Rhodes off the ladder and grabs himself a briefcase. 
The IC title match between Curtis Axel and The Miz was as academic as you could expect with Curtis Axel getting the victory with his signature neckbreaker. It was actually a, a pretty decent match. The problem with Curtis Axel isn't the fact that he's a shitty wrestler. It's not that at all. Not a shitty wrestler in the least. On the contrary, probably one of the best consistent guys on that roster. The problem with him is that he has not developed a a chemistry with the audience. He hasn't developed a chemistry in the sense that he hasn't developed a catchphrase or or something to really set him apart. See, one of the beautiful things about his late father was the fact that Mr. Perfect didn't didn't have to come out there and cut this super awesome promo. He embodied perfection. He'd come out with with the swagger in his walk and the white towel and the gum swat. You looked at that guy and you said, hey, that guy is a legit superstar because he just embodied that. That's not to say that Curtis Axel doesn't because he does. The only problem is he comes out looking like a lumberjack and he doesn't have shit else going for him. He has nothing else going for him except looking like Ricky Bobby with a fucking beard. It it doesn't work. It doesn't work for me. And and, and it's not even a, people are like, oh, well, you got to give him time. He's working with Paul Heyman. Heyman will figure it out. And it's true. Heyman will figure it out. But the thing is that currently he comes on the screen and I'm like, yeah, we're going to get a decent match. And that's it. The problem is he hasn't developed that persona that that will carry over into the main stage. And uh, no better example of that than Daniel Bryan. When Daniel Bryan came in to NXT, he still embodied the American Dragon. He he was he was the American Dragon all the way up until he started the Yes gimmick. And then the Yes gimmick kind of snowballed into the goat and the beard and all this shit and it worked. That's what worked for Daniel Bryan. What's going to work for Curtis Axel? I don't know. Mortis said, I, I mean, um, you know, Mortis, Mortis says that you want to have a, you want to cheer for Sparta when he comes out. And Slick said that he needs to grow out some Jerry curls. You never know. Maybe, maybe he needs to come out with the towel and the gum swat, you know, and, and throw that in there just as an homage to his old man. Maybe that, maybe that's it. Maybe he just needs that. Maybe he needs to use the perfect plex more. Perhaps it's that. Maybe we need to go back to the perfect gimmicks. The old vignettes that they used to do. The ones where Mr. Perfect would throw the football to himself. Or, you know, the the, the shit where he would, um, you know, throw the football to himself, catch it, uh, play basketball and dunk it. You know, those vignettes were tremendous for, for Mr. Perfect. And I think... If they wanted to do something cool, you could have the hole in one. Thank you, Slick. I remember that. You could do something like that with him. I'm not saying go out there and have him throw the football to himself, but have a little fun. Have a little fun with it. Have him go out there and you know, may, maybe you want to just make it that he's imperfect, and you could kind of make that part of his gimmick. Instead of, you know, they'll go like, Paul Heyman will be like, hey, you know, your old man used to be able to throw a football to himself and catch it. You want to try it? And instead of having him have the guy throw the football and him catch it, the guy throws the ball. He doesn't he doesn't run for it and just beats the guy's ass or something, something different to set him apart. That's really it. I just I feel bad because when you look on the message boards, they're like, yo, man, Curtis Axel fucking sucks. 
It's like Curtis Axel helped Brock Lesnar get ready for his match with Triple H. Curtis Axel helped The Rock get ready for his match twice with John Cena. How does a guy who hasn't been on television help guys who make three and four times more money than he does get ready for matches? That's because the guy has something we just haven't seen yet. Give it time, folks. AJ Lee defended her Divas Championship against Caitlyn in a match that was pretty academic from start to finish. I kind of felt that this was a worse match than the previous one they had on television a couple of weeks back. I was I was I was bummed. I was really really bummed that this match wasn't as good as I would have thought. But the reasoning in that it, with regards to that is this. AJ Lee is probably one of the best and most complete divas on that roster. And I say it from the standpoint, she has the fundamentals of wrestling, she has her gimmick down to a science, and she makes it work. Caitlyn, on the other hand, Caitlyn still has some rough patches, and they're trying their hardest to make her a combination Trish Stratus and Beth Phoenix. You really just gotta let her persona come through and stop trying to make her these other divas. Yeah, she's muscular, she's a little jacked, And she's easy on the eyes to boot. But Beth Phoenix is Beth Phoenix. Different animal. Trish Stratus is Trish Stratus. Different animal. When Trish Stratus wrestled, that's when we had a ton of great women's wrestlers in the WWE. Molly Holly, Ivory, Jazz. Um, Who else did we have? Hell, even even Cherry that used to come out with the uh, the greaser guy. She was pretty solid in the ring too. Uh, and, And the thing that gets me is that the divas they got now... We're so we're too worried about the E program to really worry about getting these ladies out there and getting them to wrestle. You know what was crazy when Trish Stratus was at her peak of popularity? I saw men wearing Trish Stratus t-shirts. Men, legit dudes, walking around with the little Trish Stratus chick logo on 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 a t-shirt because she was a complete wrestler. She had the gimmick down pat. She looked good. She could wrestle pretty good. She got great matches with with Mickey James, Lita, etc. Come on. Now, it's like you look at the current Divas roster and I can tell you, the only legit wrestlers they got are Natalia um what the hell is the girl from Naomi, Naomi from the Funkadactyls, AJ, Caitlyn is starting to come into her own, Layla is hit and miss. That's it. Four of them. Four. You could say, oh, Alicia Fox. is No, Alicia Fox is. I haven't even seen Alicia Fox have three matches in a, in a row to even give you guys a verdict on her wrestling ability. I don't even remember her Divas Championship run. That's how that's how non-academic it was. No, we just get the Bellas every fucking week. And I understand they're twins and one of them, you know, one of them gets to check to make sure that the champ is there with John Cena and the other one gets to comb Daniel Bryan's beard every day. We got it. I understand that. But still, in terms of mic work and ring work, they are fucking garbage. Garbage. They just are. Chris Jericho and Ryback ended the way that I figured it would with Chris Jericho putting over Ryback in a pretty decent match. Ryback stealing the victory with the old schoolboy roll-up, which was funny to say the least. Chris Jericho... Always a consummate professional going in there, doing the right thing, putting guys over, never complaining, entertaining the fans. Chris Jericho is a class act and a bona fide Hall of Famer. 
And, it, you know, I'm giving him all these accolades because of some news I got to share with you guys later on. So, uh, yeah. Thank you, Mortis. <laughs> Mortis telling people in the chat what I'm going to be discussing later on in the segment. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mortis. It's all good. Anyway, so <laughs> thank you, Slick. So Del Rio and Ziggler had another good match. And um, as always, Del Rio and Ziggler have great chemistry. And I will tell you, when Ziggler wins the belt, it's going to be insanity. And the reason I say that is because the crowd is so into it. You know, and AJ's involvement really brought it full circle, which, of course, is going to lead into something that went down on Raw. But overall, the, the Del Rio and Ziggler have a tremendous rivalry, great chemistry, and, and the match works. It was, it was solid, a lot of great moves, a lot of great counters, fantastic. Mark Henry and John Cena had a pretty straightforward match with John Cena, of course, hitting the attitude adjustment on Mark Henry and Mark Henry kicking the fuck out to the point where John Cena had to use the STF and make Mark Henry tap out. It was, uh, it was interesting. And the reason I say that is because I really wanted Mark Henry to win the belt. You have no idea how badly I wanted Mark Henry to win the belt. Number one, because he's earned it. Number two, because Cena could go do some other shit. And, and number three, just new blood. New blood wearing that WWE championship. I'm tired. I wanted Mark Henry to win the belt. I really did. I thought he, he, he right now, he's, he's, he has the hot gimmick, the house of, the, you know, the house of pain or, or the hall of pain, excuse me, house of pain is uh, jump around, you know, jump up, jump up and get down type Irish shit, which is not what we're going with. But, Mark Henry was denied, denied. And of course, uh, it's easy to go with the default, which is he's black, which is what we've discussed before about, you know, no minorities or African-Americans wearing the WWE championship. I said to myself, please, please dispute that rumor and put the belt on Mark Henry, even if it's for a month. Come on, guys, do do the right thing. But clearly this was not a Spike Lee joint and they were not doing the right thing. John Cena retains the money in the bank. All-stars match was exactly what you would expect. Chaos, carnage, and awesomeness. I did expect Daniel Bryan to win that belt. I mean, to win that briefcase. I, I chanted for it. I, I begged for it. I pleaded for it. Hell, I would have even taken Rob Van Dam winning the briefcase, but in, in the ultimate of swerves, Randy Orton wins your money in the bank. Tremendous for a couple of reasons. Number one, the full Paul Heyman heel turn where he cost CM Punk the belt. Number two, Randy Orton getting a Randy Orton delivering an awesome mid-air RKO, which was tremendous. And of course, the briefcase. Just it was it was it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous the Heyman turn was well planned it was in Philadelphia there's no better way to get Paul Heyman booed than to have him turn on CM Punk in Philadelphia it was badass with Randy Orton winning the briefcase it opens up a couple of possibilities some of which I've heard some of which are rumors and speculation which I will discuss later on in the segment anyway money in the bank probably ranks in my top three well top I'd, I'd like to say top five favorite pay-per-views of 2013 because it definitely was good 
They did have tremendous matches, good storytelling. We didn't get too many stupid angles, just just action from bell to bell. So, going into the Raw side of things, we might as well jump right into it. Ah, Brad Maddox comes out, cuts his little promo, John Cena makes fun, Fandango walks out, he, he talks about creating a spirit bomb for 10 minutes, and uh, yeah, Randy Orton... And Fandango goes down in what was a pretty solid match. Fandango looked really good in that match. And I actually thought that there might be some shenanigans and he'd get the victory. But nope, Randy Orton continues to build the momentum as the Money in the Bank winner by getting the victory on Fandango with the academic RKO and the 1-2-3. So, we get Alberto Del Rio and Dolph Ziggler again post-AJ breakup, which happened Earlier in, the, earlier in the evening, well, earlier in the segment, and, uh, yeah, AJ came out, rang the bell, made Dolph think that the uh, match was over, and it wasn't. Uh, Del Rio with the awesome super kick to the head, securing the pinfall for the academic 1-2-3. Good old Cray J in full effect. And um, she's there, she's slapping Dolph Ziggler around. Dolph Ziggler's like, yo, what are you doing, crazy bitch? Get out of here. Turns around into a running Biggie Langston who murdered death, kills him, and hits him with the big ending. There you have it, ladies and gents. Dolph Ziggler, Biggie Langston, the feud begins. All because of little old Cray J. It was good, though. It was good. I liked the way they set it up. And, um, you know, I think Biggie Langston and, and, and Dolph are going to have some badass matches. I definitely think it's going to happen. So... R-Truth was back on television this week for uh, the beautiful murder-death-kill segment involving the Wyatts who come out and, of course, have a great promo and kill R-Truth dead. So there you have it. And they make sure, Bray Wyatt makes sure to remind Kane to follow the buzzards. So there you go. The way the Bray Wyatt finisher was pretty badass. Uh, that he hit on our truth definitely kind of cool. It almost looked like a little bit of a roll the dice uh, that used to be used by Reno in WCW. Looked looked solid. Definitely looked solid. The quote unquote real Americans came out. Jack Swagger and Antonio Cesaro. Uh, Cesaro really needs to wear some knee pads because that them hairy ass thighs are distracting as fuck. He comes out. They look like two like the ends of two cotton swabs. Seriously, he comes out. With, with, with Jack Swagger looking looking full-on collegiate. And um, a pretty solid match with the Usos. The Usos got the victory there, but it was fine. Again, the Usos with the momentum. But the Real Americans look good. Murica. It was all about... It was all about Zeb Coulter's blatant racism. Where he, where he just clowned Brooklyn. And pretty much said that the melting pot of America should be changed to Porta Potty. It was uh, quite amusing. You know... The funny thing about Zeb Coulter's character is that he comes out and says some legit racist shit. Full on legit. And it amuses me because people are like, yo, man, his promos are fantastic. You do realize that he's saying what a what the bulk of us are fucking thinking. And that's why that's why you're saying people are saying it's so great. Zeb Coulter's promos are good. And you know what was what amused me? When they did the We the People, the crowd actually said it with them. Which just goes to show you what kind of pieces of shit we are. You pretty much just got called 
pieces of shit and your borough got called a toilet. But you know what? We the people. Ah, the crowd, such sheep. They should just give out those sheep masks that, that the Wyatt family wears and just give them to the fucking crowd. Because seriously, that's that's really what it was. Christian and Damian Sandow was your angle advancement match. Uh, Christian got the roll-up victory, and Cody Rhodes gets the ass whooping, which leads us to Brie, Bella, and Naomi. Yeah. There's... This isn't. This wasn't even a fucking match. It was. It was a. It was a clown show. It was garbage. It was. Uh, it was just embarrassing to watch. It doesn't. It doesn't even deserve it. But it just. That's it. You know, it, it, it's funny because Slick says, dude, by comparison to most Divas matches, it was solid. You you know what's funny? I understand why you would say that, Slick, because you know what? Naomi carried that fucking match. She carried it. She carried it. That's why the match was remotely tolerable. She carried the fuck out of it. She should have just folded Brie Bella up and put that bitch in a book bag and carried her. Because that's what it was. It was blatant carrying. Wasn't fucking Brie Bella doing a a goddamn thing in that match. Didn't do shit. You know what she did? She bumped. That's it. What does Brie Bella do? Bumped. That's what she does when she's home with the lights out. She bumps. Seriously. That's what that bitch does. She bumps. Garbage. Naomi, Naomi can have a match with a fucking wet pillow and make it look good. Brie Bella, you are that wet pillow. Terrible. Terrible. So CM Punk and Paul Heyman had a tremendous, tremendous promo. So tremendous. And of course, the promo just, it ended with, with that, those, that beautiful, beautiful sound of Brock Lesnar's intro music. And you know that it was going to be a, an epic encounter between Weapon X and the Incredible Hulk as they proceeded to beat the holy fucking hell out of each other right after that exchange. But the that definitely was the payoff, but that promo between Heyman and Punk was beautiful. And it was beautiful for a couple of reasons. It was beautiful because we got realism and legit beef. It was pretty much like, I, you made shit personal. I fucking hate you. Like CM Punk was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill everybody in your fucking family, and you're gonna watch. That was pretty much the equivalent of that promo. It was fantastic, fantastic. I was thoroughly impressed. I said to myself, you know, that promo was probably one of the best ones from them. I, I'm sure that they're gonna have a ton of promos going forward. As they build up to the match between Lesnar and 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 CM Punk, but that promo alone was it sold me on that match. And the reason is because that match, 
The beauty of that match is that that match has built up all the way to SummerSlam. And you can sell it completely with just Paul Heyman and CM Punk cutting promos. That's it. That's all you need. That's all you need to sell it, which is crazy. It's crazy because you watch it and you're like, you know, these guys, they need to go out there and they need to have this. They need to have matches. They need to have all this shit. And it's that's not even the case. That's not even the case. All Paul Heyman needs to do is come out there and cut a promo on CM Punk. And that's it. That's it. It was it was bananas. But you know what? Rather than me tell you how awesome that promo was, check it out for yourselves. I'm looking at an empty ring because... In my world, you don't exist. In 2005, WWE had no vision for you. I took you in, I befriended you, I taught you, I trained you, I martyred my entire career for you. And then we reached the Holy Grail together. We were the reigning, defending WWE Champion for 434 days. We came within an inch of breaking the Undertaker's streak at WrestleMania. We, CM Punk, we were the best in the world. Without me, there is no we. Without Paul Heyman, CM Punk, you're not the best in the world. Here's the truth, because I'll tell you why I have such an aversion to the truth, because the truth is a lot harder pill to swallow, Mr. Straight Edge than a spin on things. The truth is, you failed us when you couldn't defeat The Undertaker at WrestleMania. And when you went home, you found yourself. And CM Punk comes back to WWE. And you think you're better than me. (laughs) CM Punk, better than Paul Heyman. So I lied to you. I manipulated you. I played you because you can never claim that CM Punk dumped Paul Heyman. No, history is going to write that Paul Heyman dumped CM Punk. You didn't you didn't want a business relationship with me. You wanted to keep it Personal, so I made it as personal as I can possibly make it. Oh, come on. You you know this to be true. Here's the truth. You have no family. You're estranged from your own mother and father. You have no wife. 
You have no children. All you have is them. This is getting too personal. All you have is the WWE Universe. All you have is their admiration. All you have is their respect. All you have is their affirmation. Listen to that. All you need in your life is the WWE Championship. You took my best friend away from me, and I took your chance at the WWE title away from you and each and every one of them. You're going to find out as bad a reputation as I have in business, I'm a whole lot worse personally. Here's the harshest truth of them all. I betrayed you because CM Punk, you can't beat Brock Lesnar. Are you done? You want to talk about the truth? I saw firsthand last night that the truth does hurt. And maybe I should have seen it coming, but damn it, Paul, I trusted you. And all I have to show for it now is these 13 staples in my head. But another truth is that you know me better than anybody and you know when I'm lying and you know when I'm telling the truth and you know when I want something bad enough I am the most relentless man on the planet and I will not stop until I get it and the truth is Paul I'm gonna get you The truth is you don't have a future because I'm going to burn down everything around you until you're the last man standing and I'm going to keep you alive just long enough to look you in the eye and hurt you worst of all. So tell me, you son of a... Am I lying? There you go. Masterful was that promo. That's what I'm saying. And of course you cap it off with Brock Lesnar coming out there and killing him dead. But still, even with Brock Lesnar coming out there and doing that, it just worked. It fucking worked. It, it was it was tremendous. It was tremendous. And then to follow that up with a with a beautiful match between Rob Van Dam and Chris Jericho, it's all good. I, I could I could I could deal with that. Van Dam and, and Jericho delivered a, a tremendous match. And you want to know what kills me? It was, it started off a little slow, but then it just, it just, 
it, it, it was a pay-per-view level match between these guys. Nice, nice bit of countering back and forth. Great storytelling. Good bumps. Tremendous. Rob Van Dam is definitely here to put on, you know, no pun intended, a show. And Chris Jericho did right and put him over. It was, it was tremendous. Five star frog splash got the crowd hot in Brooklyn. It was, it was good. It was, it was so good. I was, I was thoroughly impressed. And you know, the funniest thing for me was the fact that I said, ah. Rob Van Dam's going to come in there and he's going to fucking lose. And, you know, people are going to fucking cheer and they're going to go crazy and he'll lose and they'll give the pinfall to Jericho. But they did the right thing. They put Rob Van Dam over. The crowd was into it in Brooklyn. It was tremendous. Now, the closing segment of the evening was was amazing only because of the ending. And rather than me sit here and tell you what went down. I think you guys would appreciate it more from the man himself. Roll the tape, monkeys. So with a decision this historic, I need your help. You guys are already getting the hang of this. I'd like your help in making SummerSlam the best event we can make it and making the match for the WWE Championship a match that y'all would like to see. So if you feast your eyes on the stage, you will see a collection of WWE superstars. We got a birthday boy in the house. What do y'all think about Heath Slater? No dice on Heath Slater. How about how about any of 3MB? Oh God, that's that's harsh. Remember, don't hinder gender. <laughs> what about the man who holds the money in the bank contract for this very championship, Randy Orton? How about the great Kali? And look at, look at El Presidente over there. Get on with it. Okay, we're about to get on with it. How do you guys feel about Alberto Del Rio? There's a gentleman who just had a wonderful match. He might have come up a little bit shy, but we've had some great matches in the past. What about Y2J, the Ayatollah of rock and roll, and Chris Jericho? And you know what? Speaking of that, there were two people in that match, and one of them just got back last night, and he truly is one of a kind, and he proved it tonight. What about Rob Van Dam? He can fly, but can he dance? I don't know. There's one guy who can dance out there. What do y'all think about Fandango? I don't have my own hotline, but this guy does. If I dial 1-800-FELLA, I'm going to get Seamus. What do y'all think about Seamus? Oh, snap. I see you up there, Ryback, breathing all heavy. What do y'all think about Ryback? Doesn't look good. Is there anybody I'm forgetting? 
I'll tell you what, I really want to thank you guys for your help tonight. We got a bunch of great selections, but I've made my decision. This is an individual that certainly deserves this opportunity. Hey guys, I respect, I respect the beard. Trust me, I respect the beard. This is a guy who deserves this decision. This is a guy who deserves this match, and I think it's going to make SummerSlam an awfully special occasion. Now, if he should choose to se select me and accept my challenge, well, I, I select Daniel Bryan. Wow. Yes, yes, yes. That's huge. There he is. This place just erupted. That's a popular decision. Man, you got to hand me to John Cena. Nothing beats that. That was amazing. It was amazing. Now, the, the thing is, and again, speculation, but there's a rumor that they're going to write Randy Orton off of TV, some sort of an injury. Maybe he'll get attacked by the Shield. And um, Daniel Bryan's going to go on to win the belt from Cena, get his moment. Then Orton's going to cash it in, win it as a heel, and then it'll be Daniel Bryan chasing Randy Orton for the belt. Again, purely rumors, purely speculation, but I I could deal with that. I could definitely deal with that. I have no problem with that. If they do it that way, Daniel Bryan wins the belt, then he has a nice little feud with Orton, gets seen out of the fucking picture for a hot minute. I could live with that. So, let's get into the rest of this week's wrestling news. You're probably wondering, hey, where's Tamina? Maybe you're not. Maybe you just don't give a shit. But um, she is actually filming with The Rock for Hercules. She put up a picture on Twitter and Instagram, and she's actually she was actually reading script for a part in Hercules. Big shocker there, as, you know, The Rock tries to look out for his uh, fellow family members. And not for nothing, she, she definitely could kind of fit into the... The, the, the Hercules universe they're looking to create. I got no problem with that. I mean, now it's bum because I'm bum just because Tamina's a, a, a force. She wrestles pretty good. Her Superfly Splash is pretty solid. So, bum she's not on TV, but at least she wasn't fired. So, every couple of months, WWE puts out a, a wonderful uh, countdown, whether it's best gimmicks, best finishers, blah, blah, blah. So, this particular list was the 25 best bodies or hottest bodies in the WWE. Now, 
If you guys have been watching wrestling as long as I have, you've seen your fair share of super jacked up roided monkeys to uh, chiseled small guys to ridiculous breast implants to regular looking girls next door. But according to WWE, these are their top 25 hottest bodies. Let me know if you guys agree. Number 25, Candice Michelle. Number 24, Michelle McCool. Number 23, Carrie Von Eric. Number 22 was Sonny. Number 21, Lex Luger. Number 20, Layla. Number 19, David Otunga. 18 was Lita. 17 is Triple H. 16, Christy Hemi. 15 was Batista. 14 was Tori Wilson. 13 was the Ultimate Warrior, who of course you're going to be seeing a lot of since he's in WWE 2K14. Number 12 was Eve. Number 11 was The Rock. Number 10 was Kelly Kelly. Number 9 was Randy Orton. That depends. Was it Growth Hormone Randy Orton? Or was it Clembuterol Randy Orton? Or is it regular Randy Orton? Depends. I figure those would be three alternates for 2K14. Uh, Number 8, John Morrison. Number 7 was Maurice. Number 6 was the late Ravishing Rick Rude. Number 5 were the Bella Twins. Big fucking shocker there. Number four, Dolph Ziggler. Number three, Stacy Keebler. Number two, John Cena. Number one, no surprise there, Trish Stratus. Which she actually put up a picture of her with, you know, she's pregnant of her of her baby bump, and she's probably she's probably one of the most attractive pregnant women I've ever seen. I kid you not. She's walking around. She got heels on and shit. She doesn't look like a monster. She doesn't look like one of the fucking inhumanoids. She looks legit, like like a chick that goes and and like I worked with a with a girl who was pregnant. She did cardio until she was in like her ninth month. It was ridiculous. So you know, Trish Stratus definitely is a is a hot pregnant lady. Don't get don't don't think it, it's not my thing. Trust me, it's not my thing. I know everybody has their own freakish porn fetish, but. I'm definitely not into the pregnant chicks. Sorry. So, switching gears a little bit, this bit of news has actually been rather mainstream, and a lot of people have been talking about it, and it all started from an individual on Reddit, a Reddit user who, for the last couple of months, has been posting results to WWE pay-per-views hours before they happen. As far back as going into the W this past... This past pay-per-view, this weekend's past pay-per-view. And he was accurate every time. 100% accuracy. 38 for 38, this individual was. Deadspin reported on it. And um, this guy, he's getting all his information allegedly from an inside source. And he's been sharing it on Reddit, on R Squared Circle. Now, the crazy thing is, WWE adjusted, you know, addressed it, and they said... We have a modern-day Nostradamus on our hands. We might have to monitor these posts in advance of our next pay-per-view to see how good he or she really is. So clearly, they are not happy. But you know what the thing is? There's always guys that leak out information in professional wrestling. It's as old as time itself. It goes back to the WCW days when they re- when they leaked that Foley was going to win the belt. That's how, that's how, that's how, and and even further than that, the fact is, 
in the era of the internet, news will get out. WWE has to go out of their way to make sure certain things like, you know, like when Brock Lesnar shows up and they don't want to let anybody know he did that kind of shit. They have to do be super cloak and dagger with it because these individuals are out there leaking information left and right. It's insane. But the problem with this is that it could be somebody higher up. Like people are like, oh, it's probably one of the superstars or whatever. It could even be somebody higher up or let's let's not even eliminate the possibility that it's wwe leaking the shit themselves to generate a buzz to see what people are saying like anything else i you ever you ever heard of the of the story of you know feed them feed them information and see if a rumor circulates and and what it sounds like when it comes back to you that's what wwe might be doing they might say hey let's drop this out there and see what people say And if it's met positively, then great. If it's not, then maybe we need to adjust our strategy. The funny thing about WWE is that for for as much shit as we give them about Tout and Twitter and the WWE app, etc., the fact is that WWE has its finger on the pulse of technology across the board. You think every motherfucker that works for that company is some curmudgeon-y old bastard that has no idea how the internet or social media or technology works? Hell no. They get the best and the brightest in there for certain things, and then they get guys that write days of our lives to give us wrestling. It happens. But the fact remains that these guys are way too ahead of the curve to not know this shit is going on. I can imagine, Vince. Damn it. Find out which son of a bitch is putting out the pay-per-view results. They're fired. Like, I could just imagine him yelling back there, I want you to bring me every black superstar that wrestles on this roster. Which one of you is Instagramming or Twittering the results of the pay-per-view, you motherfuckers? Seriously. Like that, I can imagine. Bring the Usos in here. They look ghetto enough to do it. Jimmy, Jay, I'm Jimmy, sir. I don't care which one of you put the information out there. You're both fired. Like, seriously, like that's like just Vince screaming backstage about it is just a sight to behold. But like I said, it could be the polar opposite. It could be WWE putting the fucking breadcrumbs out there to see where it leads. You never, you never fucking know. And the way that they acknowledged it was nice, too. That, you know, they were like, yeah, modern-day Nostradamus, we're going to monitor these posts, a.k.a. we're going to find out who the fuck is writing them, and they will have a personal meeting with Vince, in which Vince's foot will be introduced to Vince, to, to that person's ass. Simple as that. Anyway, while we're on the subject of McMahon's, Triple H's DVD and Blu-ray is hitting stores September 24th, and they got... A pretty decent documentary on there, but I wanted to share the um, the match listings with you guys. Check this out. Jean-Paul Levesque taking on Ricky Steamboat, WCW Saturday night, September 1994. Or, <clears throat> how about this gem? Hunter Hearst Helmsley versus Dude Love from September 1997. Also on there, the Iron Man match for the WWE Championship between The Rock and Triple H at Judgment Day. May 21st, 2000. The no DQ match with Triple H and Kurt Angle, which was an awesome match, is on there. All the championships on the line. Triple H and Stone Cold, the two-man power trip. 
taking on The Undertaker and Kane from Backlash, April 29th, 2001. <clears throat> World Heavyweight Championship match between Triple H and Rob Van Dam, Raw, June 30th, 2003. The last man standing match for the World Heavyweight Championship, Shawn Michaels versus Triple H, January 25th, 2004. The Road to WrestleMania tournament match, Ric Flair versus Triple H, February 6, 2006. Triple H versus King Booker at SummerSlam from August 2007. The last man standing match for the WWE Championship between Triple H and Randy Orton was also there. That's also from 2007. Jeff Hardy versus Triple H from November 21st, 2008. Uh, Chris Jericho versus Triple H from November 30th, 2009. And if you get the Blu-ray, you get the no DQ career on the line. Triple H versus Brock Lesnar from WrestleMania, April 7th, 2013. Of course, they talk about the click and all that other stuff. But it definitely sounds like a solid documentary. I'd pick it up just to watch um, that Triple H Ric Flair match. Triple H and Rob Van Dam. And of course, the match with him and Kurt Angle, which was tremendous. Again... That drops on September 24th. You could probably pre-order it through the MTR Amazon store. You can see the link for that on MyTakeRadio.com. So everybody's been talking about Forbes and the list of highest paid actors and how The Rock made it on that list. So the numbers are from July 2012 to June 2013. And your top five actors are as follows. Robert Downey Jr. made $75 million. Channing Tatum made $60 million. Hugh Jackman made $55. Mark Wahlberg made $52. And The Rock made $46 million from 2012 to 2013. Definitely. This is the thing with The Rock making that much money. This guy doesn't have to go back and wrestle. Doesn't have to. He could just as easily say, listen... I make all this money making movies and not getting hurt. But guy goes back and sure, people can bitch. Oh, The Rock is going to take away everybody's main event slots. Do you think The Rock gives a shit? He wants to go out there and work in front of a live crowd. That motherfucker made $46 million. Do you think he gives a shit about what, you know, Cody Rhodes makes? Get the fuck out of here. $46 million, just saying. TNA was in the news this week with loads of roster cuts. Tara was released from her contract. Five-time knockouts champion was released. Also, Doc, a.k.a. Luke Gallows, was released as well. And Bruce Pritchard, brother love, left the company. He was senior vice president of programming and talent relations. So... There you have it. He is gone. Also released was D'Lo Brown. So Bruce Pritchard, D'Lo, Doc, and Tara. Gonski. There you have it. So as I mentioned earlier when discussing Chris Jericho, Chris Jericho's final match with the WWE will be tomorrow night on SmackDown. He said it on Twitter. He goes so long at WWE for now. 2013 was one of my favorite in-ring years ever. Thanks for always sticking with Y2J and see you on the road soon with at Fozzie Rock. So there you have it. Chris Jericho, his final match will be on SmackDown tomorrow. Make sure to check it out. Like I said, consummate professional putting guys over right before taking a break. I'm sure we'll see Jericho either for the Rumble or just in time for WrestleMania next year. But 
it's always cool to see Chris Jericho. He comes in, he always entertains, does right by the fans, and like I said, puts the right people over. So there you have it. Chris Jericho's last match will be tomorrow night on SmackDown. Last bit of wrestling news for this evening. Mick Foley will be writing a, a series of comics with WWE in partnership with Paper Cuts. And the comics are going to be titled WWE and the first issue launches in December and is actually going to be taking place within the continuity of WWE storylines. I think it's Mick Foley leaking out all the information. The comic will include matches, backstage segments, and all the usual stories as well. So there you have it. Um, He's also going to be doing a second title through Paper Cuts, which is going to be primarily for kids. But WWE is going to be getting its own comics. Be on the lookout for that. If we can pick some up and review them, we definitely will. Either myself or Mortis or Slick. Somebody hopefully will get their hands on them and review them. All right. That's going to wrap up this week's wrestling segment. Let's get into some video games. It's quite a bit to talk about there. Let's get the ball rolling. Alright, so let's open things up with um, Lego and Lego Marvel Super Heroes, which will be getting the next-gen treatment. In addition to releasing the game on Xbox 360, PlayStation 3, Wii U, Nintendo DS, 3DS, PlayStation Vita, and PC, Warner Brothers will be releasing Lego Marvel Super Heroes on the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One as well. In some Injustice Gods Among Us news, of course, right after EVO, we found out that they will be releasing a new DLC character, and that being the one and only highly sought-after Martian Manhunter. He will be joining the rest of the Justice League cast, but also being released is a Jon Stewart skin for the Green Lantern as well, which is kind of cool. I think that's a nice way to do it, uh, reskinning some of the characters and allowing them... Um, allowing those characters to get a second life. If that's the case, like I said, you could probably skin Superman, make him Bizarro, uh, maybe skin Batman and make him Azrael Batman if you wanted to have uh, some fun with that. Definitely definitely would be cool. I'd, I wouldn't mind seeing that. On the contrary, I think that doing doing things like that would extend the shelf life of the game a little bit more. So there you have it. Martian Manhunter joins the Injustice roster, and Jon Stewart will be a skin for Green Lantern. So IGN showed us showed off a little bit of uh, WWE 2K14, which, of course, if you pre-order it, you get to have the Ultimate Warrior as your pre-order bonus. Um, a couple of things got changed this year. They, um, they made some big changes to the reversal system, um, including uh, attacks being a little bit quicker, also, not only that, being able to do catch finishers where, you know, you'll be able to do finishers on running opponents and opponents in the air, which I'm sure they'll be utilizing quite a bit with Randy Orton with guys, you know, jumping off the top rope and Randy Orton catching them. I'm sure that's part partly one of the many things that we will be seeing. Also, they added environmental oh my god moments for characters like John Cena or Ryback. In Ryback's case, he can actually perform the shell shock to multiple wrestlers at the same time. 
So there you have it. John Cena and Ryback will be able to hit their finishers on multiple opponents. So when Ryback is doing, you know, feed me more, and he wants to do the shell shock on two jobbers, you could do that. Same thing with John Cena doing the attitude adjustment on two wrestlers at the same time, perhaps even three, perhaps, perhaps even Mark Henry and the Big Show, which I wouldn't mind seeing. That'd be pretty crazy to see. I I am going to definitely pick this up. Maybe not day one release, but I'm interested in seeing some of that stuff. I want to see how they're going to pull off the running finishers. I think one of the cool ones to do would be like a, um, you know, like the running, like a running STF where the opponent's running and, you know, Cena usually catches that arm and transitions into the STF. Stuff like that adds a little bit more to the whole simulation aspect of it. But as always, you got to keep some of the arcade roots in there. So like I said, WWE 2K14 is definitely on my radar. I don't know if I'm, like I said, I'm going to buy it day one, but I may pre-order it because, you know, it's the ultimate fucking warrior running around being a psychopath. Who's Who doesn't want to hear that? So, I did want to talk about this a little bit at length, and this involves the NCAA and EA. Here's, here's the thing that's been going on with them. USA Today put out an article that the... Um, NCAA gave notice to EA that they were not going to be renewing their contract with EA, which is, which is crazy. The contract is set to expire at the end of June in 2014. So what's going to happen is we're not going to get any more NCAA games going forward. Now, the crazy thing is you have, and here's the crazy part, NCAA with regards to tying into Madden is something that's it's been ongoing for years. You play NCAA football and then you import your seniors into Madden. I mean, that was one of the few things that I actually thought was cool in Madden that you could import your college players from NCAA into Madden. So as it turns out, the way this works is, and it it all stems from a lawsuit. Somebody came, put a filed a lawsuit against the NCAA and EA, and what they ended up doing was they complained because they're using players' likenesses and they're doing all of these things, college fight songs, etc., and what's going to happen with that is you have to actually license all this stuff, but the lawsuit is about antitrust because think about it. You put out a game with the NFL, the players get some money, the teams get some money, with college, only the colleges make money, but you're using players' names and likenesses. So EA is, you know, the defendant with regards to that and using athlete likenesses, and I'm sure with that, it's probably going to be the end of that franchise. What they'll probably do, if anything, they'll just release a college ball game and either not use the teams themselves or who knows. I mean, the NCAA games always sold well. They made decent money and... Who knows? For me personally, I, I've always liked playing the NCAA games. This was one of the things that before I kind of stopped fucking around with EA, I did often because the NCAA games were paced a lot quicker and they were just more enjoyable to play. I mean, I didn't really stress too much about player likenesses or favorite players because that's that's always something where in certain teams you'd see number six, number eight, and if you follow college ball, you'd know who they are. But I can understand where the athletes are getting are getting frustrated because 
you know, these guys are making a ton of money and they're not getting paid for it. As a, as a college athlete, these guys, even though they're told they can't get any money, they do. But to use their likenesses, I can understand where that frustration comes from. Again, in terms of just regular NCAA football as we know it, it's probably not happening. But they'll, they'll, either they'll release something generic or they'll can it. I mean, for those that were waiting for NBA Live, nobody nobody gave a shit when EA didn't put that out. So who knows? Maybe NCAA will be the same. I mean, I know a couple of guys that actually went hardcore to go pick up the game. And they're like, yo, man, that's going to be fucked up if I can't play NCAA and import my guys into Madden. So... I mean, you could probably just change the names yourself, maybe, if they want to do that. But in, in terms of trying to license everything, they may, they may pack it up and let it be. But we shall see what happens as the story develops. I will share those, those news with you guys. Angry Birds Star Wars is another Angry Birds game that's making the jump to consoles as it's getting ready to hit PlayStation 3, 360, the Wii U, the Vita, and the 3DS on October 29th. Obviously, you know, the the in North America, it's October 29th and worldwide on November 1st getting 20 new levels, co-op, multiplayer, and um of course Angry Birds Star Wars 2 will be released on mobile devices on September 19th. Let me see something here. Somebody in the Mixler is in the wrong chat it seems on the Mixler and they're putting up a whole bunch of stuff about being wrong about the NCAA license, blah, blah, blah. I'm guessing you are new to the show. If you don't know, first of all, I quoted what USA Today said, and I'm sharing my opinion, whether they'll make the game or not. I could give two shits about NCAA ball. I don't play it. I'm just sharing the news and my opinion on it. If this is your first time listening, I can understand you're entitled to your opinion but don't just come in here on some straight troll shit because that shit ain't cool. Anyway, moving on. I know a couple of guys were going to be pumped for this. Earthbound is coming to the Nintendo eShop. The Super NES title, which was announced for the for the Wii U eShop in April, can now be picked up for $9.99. You can bag the game with the original strategy guide, and it can be viewed on for free on the Earthbound site, and you can use the Wii U gamepad to view it as well. I know a couple guys were talking about this a while back because we were talking about some of the old RPG games like Chrono Trigger and um, Breath of Fire. And the crazy thing is, I remember playing Earthbound I briefly, and the crazy thing is that I never understood why that game had such a cult following. It was, it was a cool game, but I, I definitely felt that Chrono Trigger was, you know, it was it is what it is. Not an opinion. The game isn't going away. You need to read a little closer. Dude, what's the fucking difference? In the Mixler chat. All right, John Doe, I got it. Not an opinion. The game isn't going away. Great. If it's not, then I will report that it's not. If it is, it is. I'm not going to manage two chats. Slick. Slick. It's the NCAA. Who cares? (laughs) Damn, Dark Helmet, you paid $70 for the for the Earthbound cartridge? Holy shit. Well, now you can grab the DLC for $9.99. <sighs> Your show loses all credibility when you spout bullshit. 
then hit, then close the window, dude. That's how easy it is. You don't like it? Close the window. It's all good. Last bit of gaming news to wrap things up from San Diego Comic-Con. They unveiled one of the newest assassins for Black Mask, and that is Copperhead, which originally appeared in Batman Brave and the Bold in 1968. Um, the crazy thing was that this character... I was surprised of all the assassins they used, they would go with this one. But I mean, it kind of balances things out. It balances things out a bit, you know, in the, in the comic, she's a he. So they decided to use a woman and they like the character so much that they're actually going to bring her into comic book continuity in DC, which is pretty cool. I mean, it's the same thing that happened with Harley as well. Harley was introduced in Batman, the animated series, and people like the character so much that they made the jump and put her in the books as well. I, 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 I've been seeing a lot of different footage for Arkham Origins, and I have high hopes that it's going to be as good as the previous Batman games. The way I see it is, you know, you got the, this new team involved, but all the elements that made all the other Batman games great are still there. I like the use of, you know, Black Mask, who's one of the more obscure villains, and he's, pre- he's, he's a pretty solid character. The, the thing with, with those Batman villains, like guys like Black Mask, the Ventriloquist, Man-Bat, is that, and, and looking at it straight up, is that these guys, they always have moments where they get redone, they get a, a coat of fresh paint, and then they're really used extremely well. I mean, a great example of that was Catman, who got a pretty much a, 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 a fresh coat of paint. I'd like to say four years ago, maybe, or five. And they made, they made his character super awesome. Another, another great example of that, which is a character that has, has always been questionable was the, was the red hood. Now that the red hood is Jason Todd, he is an awesome character. On the contrary, I like reading red hood and the outlaws. When I first read that book, I was surprised that they took, um, they took such a big gamble in making Jason Todd kind of this even more of an anti-hero than what was done in the hush books. Well, what was introduced in the hush books. And honestly, I think that going this route with the Batman games and introducing some of these characters bit by bit gets to actually stretch out the storytelling a little bit further. And you get to introduce some of these characters that people don't know a lot about like like I said Black Mask is is a great example Deadshot is another guy who if you've been watching Arrow on the CW um he's been getting a, a lot of screen time on the CW series so it, it's good it's good to see and I'm personally pumped for Arkham Origins I already pre-ordered it and I'm counting down counting down for the day it comes out so San Diego Comic-Con there there's other gaming news coming out Earlier tonight, I heard that they were re-releasing Strider. <clears throat> Capcom announced that. Really pumped for that, just because I still have the Strider game that they put out on PS2, where you could play the regular Strider game, plus play a special version with Strider Hien, which was pretty badass as well. Either way, can't wait. Definitely can't wait for it. I'll probably share the trailer on the site. Um, you know what? I think that's probably going to be the next game that I'm going to stream the, the, the Strider remake. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll stream that and play through the campaign as Strider hand. We'll see what's up with that. Obviously not this weekend. Cause it's going to be a little busy, but maybe next week I will maybe stream that anyway. That's going to, um, 
wrap up this week's gaming segment. Let's get into some entertainment news. So the big talk out of San Diego Comic-Con for the last couple of days has been X-Men Days of the Future Past. They've been sharing some cast pictures. I got to see what Bishop looks like, which is pretty badass. We got to see what the Sentinels look like. But the the newest thing, which is crazy, is that 20th Century Fox registered a website for X-Force. It looks like they're going to try and bring X-Force to the silver screen. Now, the crazy thing with X-Force is that originally, when it was done with uh, Rob Liefeld... It was with Cable, uh, Shatterstar, Boom Boom, Feral, and those characters. Later on, they actually changed the teams quite a bit. The last incarnation of X-Force probably was my favorite, which was with the with the black costumes, and it was uh, a black ops team of X-Men that went out and did kind of the dirty jobs, the wet work. Um, you know, Wolverine was led that team, Domino was on that team, Deadpool, Phantom X, which was, you know, it it was a, a solid, solid roster. The Black Ops version, like I said, was probably my, my favorite incarnation because there were so many characters in there that really threw a crazy dynamic. You had Archangel, then you had Warpath, then you had X-23, who's, who's always a loose cannon, of course, Wolverine, and then they changed it for Uncanny X-Force throwing in Deadpool, Phantom X, and Psylocke, which is fine. I think... That if they're going to go with this version, you have to go with the characters that have already been released in in, in X-Men films. I would say that you could probably go with Archangel, Wolverine. You might want to throw Deadpool in there if possible under the mask. Doesn't have to be Ryan Reynolds and maybe Psylocke. I think that would be the easiest way versus creating all that continuity and introducing Boom Boom, Cannonball, Domino, Shatterstar, Warpath, and Feral all at the same time. The You know, the only... The only exclusion would be probably Cable, who Cable can pop up. You never know. He might pop up in Days of the Future Past, and they may just throw us that curveball. But all signs point to X-Force heading to the silver screen. I will be watching that with much interest because, like I said, I would like to see the Black Ops X-Men team that, you know, comprised of X, that created X-Force be front and center. I Again, Hugh Jackman as Wolverine is always solid to watch, and um, I'll take that over trying to do the reestablished Boom Boom Cannonball roster. But who knows? We'll see what happens. And all signs are pointing to it being written by the guy who um, did Kick-Ass 2. So, again, as more news develops, I will share it with you guys. Slick says, I'm tired of comic movies that are PG-13 when they should be R. Understandable, but... When it comes to, like, the X-Men, they're trying to dip into that we-want-kids-to-buy-all-the-toys pool. It's it's a little different with, um... I do agree, like, if you're going with Black Ops, X-Force, X-Men, with the Black Ops, X-Men team that was X-Force, I would definitely go with an R rating just because Archangel, Deadpool, and Cable kill a lot of people in a lot of those books. I, I, can, I can understand that. But you also have to look at the, the, the standpoint where they're probably going to spin it in such a way where they probably won't use the Black Ops team and they'll just create 
their own incarnation of X-Force. But the cat's out of the bag. The domain is already registered. Where they go remains to be seen. So the Sun shared some news with regards to the next 007 movie. Um, They're looking to use the 2008 novel Devil May Care, which was released to mark the 100th anniversary of Ian Fleming's birth. Uh, This book, which is supposed to be set in 1967, is a sequel to The Man with the Golden Gun, and it has uh, James Bond testing his wits against an evil chemist named Dr. Julius Gorner, who, um, you know, San Mendes is, is, of course, confirmed to direct. I, I'm curious to see if they want to use that book. I actually, I think I own that book. I have to check. If I do, maybe I'll do a giveaway for it on um on the fan page. But the thing is, the, the Man with the Golden Gun, I, I think, was probably my least favorite Bond film. And that was just because I was... I wasn't really digging Roger Moore. I like Christopher Lee in that movie. He was awesome. Plus, of course, uh, Tattoo from Fantasy Island. But, um, you know, Ro- Roger Moore, the thing with Roger Moore was the, those earlier Bond movies, I just I just couldn't stand them. Now, when I watch them, I just consider them as just comedic versions of James Bond and not the real badass James Bond like Sean Connery, Pierce Brosnan, um, Daniel Craig, etc. I mean, Roger Moore is probably my least favorite Bond out of all of them. I, I actually think I like Timothy Dalton a little bit more than Roger Moore, which is weird because Moore did his fair share of Bond movies, but he just, I don't know. I think they tried too hard to make it funny, but we'll see if they're going to go with that story. And if they do, I think Sam Mendes will do a good job with it because again, he did such an amazing job with Skyfall. All right, let's talk box office totals. Despicable Me, Gru, and the Minions own the box office once again, taking the number one slot, $44.8 million, bringing its total to $229 million. Grown Ups 2 was number two, making $42.5 million. Pacific Rim was number three, making $38.3 million. The Heat was number four. The Lone Ranger drops down to number five, $11 million. Monsters University was six. World War Z was seven, White House Down was eight, Kevin Hart, Let Me Explain, was nine, and Man of Steel was number ten. Um, I went to see Pacific Rim. It was, like I said, it was solid flick. Uh, read the review on MyTakeRadio.com. Feel free to share your thoughts there. Um, also, make sure to check out Slick's review. Slick went into it a little deeper than I did, but he had a lot of great points in there, which I'm sure uh, viewers are definitely going to want to know about. I will say this, though. Stay after the credits. Not just the the early credits, but all the way to the end. Just saying. So take this as a rumor right now, but Latino Review is reporting that Joseph Gordon-Levitt is being considered to play Doctor Strange in the next phase of Marvel movies. Um, I don't know. I think it might work. I think I think Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Doctor Strange could would definitely work, primarily just because he's he's such a a, a versatile actor. And I think he could he could definitely do good work with Marvel. I, I'm still not sold on Doctor Strange coming to the silver screen. I don't know if if that's going to be a movie that people are going to really run to theaters to see. Uh, it's it's 50-50. Me personally, if you're gonna if you want to set up something like World War Hulk, then yeah, you want to set up Doctor Strange, Fantastic Four, and you know the the quote unquote Illuminati. But if not, then Doctor Strange is a character that I really probably wouldn't have have brought to the silver screen initially in an early phase. Uh, There's ample characters that you could still do stuff with that would be 
that would deserve to be done in a phase three. You know, you got the rights to the Punisher back, maybe a new Punisher movie, maybe a new Blade would be good. I'd like to see a new Blade, but um, who knows? In some small screen news, fans of American Dad will need to change their DVR settings in 2015. Well, actually in late 2014, excuse me, because they will be moving American Dad to TBS. Uh, TBS picked picked up the series, which is going to be debuting its 11th season in late 2014. Um, It's 15 episodes, and it will be joining TBS's prime time lineup. Ugh, prime time. I said prime time, excuse me. So yeah, there you go. American Dad heads to TBS. Fox also announced in some small screen news that The Simpsons and Family Guy will be meeting in an episode. I will be sharing those news on the site later on. I'm really interested to see how they're going to pull that off. If they were smart, they would do it like they did um, Marvel versus DC and stuff like that, where the Simpsons would show up on Family Guy and be drawn Family Guy style, and then the Family Guy characters would show up on The Simpsons and be drawn Simpsons style. So we'll see what happens. I'm definitely pumped for that. I got the press release about an hour ago, so I will share that on the site for you guys to check out. Superhero Hype reports that Hugh Jackman, in, a, in an earlier interview at San Diego Comic-Con, said that you need to stay past the end credits of Wolverine because you will get a preview of X-Men Days of the Future Past. So there you go. Make sure when you go to see the Wolverine next week, you stay after the credits. There you go. <laughs> whoop de doo from Slick. All right, so we all know after The Dark Knight Rises... Um, Nolan, Christian Bale don't want to do Batman anymore, but they want to bring Batman back in some capacity because clearly Batman makes a fuckload of money. So what do you do in a situation like that? You decide to go with a possible live action Batman beyond. According to Batman on film, there is discussion of bringing Batman beyond to the big screen, especially now that Nolan is no longer involved. They're looking to separate this Batman from the existing storyline and use that future Batman as the character that will all, in other words, whoever plays Bruce Wayne in Justice League will play old, you know, will also be involved in Batman Beyond. I do agree with what Mortis says about Clint Eastwood playing an old Bruce Wayne. I don't know. I think that would work. He, he might need to gain a little bit of weight, maybe. But I think that Clint Eastwood, he's such a, a powerful actor that he'll steal the, the, the spotlight from whatever young guy you put in there. But I'm curious. I'm curious to what you guys got to say. Who would you cast as 17-year-old Terry McGinnis? Who would you go with? I'm curious. I will um, feel free in the chat to share your thoughts. If not, I will post it on the fan page as well. I'm curious to see that. I mean, bringing that to the big screen would be cool. I mean, they've had a lot of fun with it, created some some fan posters and stuff. Honestly, when you're doing a 17-year-old act, when you're doing a quote-unquote 17-year-old Terry McGinnis, it's kind of hard. You know, people are like, oh, well, Joseph Gordon-Levitt could have done Batman Beyond. Yeah, but Joseph Gordon-Levitt can't really play a 17-year-old guy. <laughs> Oh, get out of here, Slick. Michael Sarah as Terry, just to piss off Rich. Get out of here. But seriously, I'm I'm curious to see if they... Honestly, if they wanted to do that, that would probably be the best thing to do because think about it. 
you get Batman back out there. It's a brand new franchise. And not only that, but you can have fun with the villains from the Batman Beyond universe because they're all special effects heavy characters. Blight, Ink. You know, you could you could still throw the Joker. You could still throw the Joker in there, which is funny. You can throw the Joker in Batman Beyond because you can do the, you know, the incarnation that was used in Batman Beyond Revenge of the Joker. We don't need to acknowledge the continuity of the Dark Knight Nolan series for this. So you can actually have have some fun with it. You could put Bane in there. You can put the Jokers in there, plus the Joker himself. And you you can create a brand new franchise and make some money. We'll see what happens. But I'm very interested to see if this rumor picks up legs. But usually Batman on film is pretty good with that stuff. We shall see what happens. So... I was watching Chronicle last week. I've, I've watched that movie in bits and pieces. And I was curious because the way that film ended could have definitely led into a sequel. So when I mentioned a couple of weeks back that they were going to do a sequel for Chronicle, I was like, damn, I got to see if they're giving it on cable or maybe I'll get it from Netflix and I'll watch it. So turns out that the sequel for Chronicle is not going to be written by Max Landis. Not only that, but Josh Trank is not even attached to the sequel either because he's in pre-production for the Fantastic Four reboot. So I'm curious to see where they're going to go with Chronicle 2. It's definitely going to happen just without Max Landis or Josh Trank. Definitely bummed about that. I mean, uh, I really enjoyed Chronicle. It was funny because Slick reviewed it, and when I read Slick's review, I was like, damn, I got to check this out. And I watched it, but I didn't finish it. Then I watched it in passing again, and it's still... Again, I, I probably watched about almost halfway through. So finally, I it was on cable, and I got to see it. And it, it was it was awesome. I was like, damn, I'd like to see a sequel and where they go. But we'll see what happens. And I, re- I really liked the um the fight with the two with the you know with the cousins at the end. That was fantastic. The special effects for that was insane. Very well done. Now, you guys are, if you're a a hardcore comic fan, you may recognize this particular uh, character I'm about to reference, but if you're not, then you got to do some homework. Anyway, Gina Carano's at San Diego Comic-Con with Rob Liefeld because they're going to be doing a big screen version of Evangeline. The Hollywood Reporter uh, posted this earlier this afternoon, and um, the the, both of them are going to be at Comic-Con meeting with fans and signing posters with Gina Carano as Evangeline. Now, if you were reading comics in 1995 after Rob Liefeld left Marvel and um, went to Image, he created this character. And basically, Evangeline is the equivalent of Selene in Underworld in that she plays a fallen angel who's sent to Earth to protect um, an individual who is the key to saving the world from, you know, demons, monsters, all the usual shit. So um, Gina Carano has been working with Rob Liefeld and it's going to be, you know, her starring vehicle. But it's definitely going to borrow all the elements of the Underworld series. So I'm curious to see where they go. I mean, Evangeline was, it was okay. The problem with with those books during that time when you were reading Image in the 90s, you had Backlash, which I kind of enjoyed, Nightmare. But all those other books came out and they just didn't compare to Wildcats and um, Cyberforce. Cyberforce was a favorite of mine. I also like Shadowhawk as well. And I had a love-hate relationship with Savage Dragon. Um, 
Backlash and Spider-Man was awesome. I think I still have that crossover book. I'll see if I find it. Maybe I'll post it on, on Instagram if I find it, or I'll share it on our Facebook fan page. But, yeah, I mean, it's weird. When you were reading comics in the 90s, especially the image stuff, they cranked out so many books. But amongst all those books, there were some gems, and then there were there was, there was shit. But I will say this. I liked my, my, my staples back then were Cyberforce, Wildcats, Spawn, um, Shadowhawk, Savage Dragon, The Max. I started getting into Pit a little bit. Pit was pretty cool, but those were those were my my main ones. And then I got into Backlash because I liked what they did with that stuff. And um, Nightmare was wasn't a bad book. I kind of I kind of liked Nightmare. I was bummed that they didn't do more with that series, but. It was, it was a weird time during the 90s with Image, but now, you know, you got your core books. Uh, oh, that was also during the time that um, Michael Turner put out Fathom. Also, Fathom was a really weird book back then. But I, I it, it's funny because a lot of those Image books I still got. I mean, one of my favorites was Battle Chasers, um, Big Joe, Joe Mad Mark, especially after his work with Darksiders. Battle Chasers was, a, was an awesome book. But, you know, Image now, it, it just... Not to say the image isn't as good, but the image books that are there now are, are books that have hardcore audiences. You know, Walking Dead, Spawn, they've really carved out a, a solid niche for themselves with some really, uh, with, with their version of alternative comics. I mean, I also like Valiant too. Valiant has some good stuff. Hopefully we can, um, you know, we can get some stuff working with Valiant. It is true. Michael Turner's art was beautiful, slick. I agree. His Supergirl his drawing of Supergirl is probably one of my favorite drawings that he did. Um, I've, I've had that as a wallpaper on numerous occasions. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Mortis when Pitt was with Full Bleed. I remember that, too. It was uh, The 90s were crazy with comics, especially on the image side, because they just put out so much stuff. It, I mean, I, st- I still have classics from the, you know, favorites from the newer image. You know, uh, when, I, when I talk newer image, I mean, you know, Dark Child... Witchblade, Magdalena, The Darkness, you know, there there were there were some awesome books during that time as well. I mean, The Darkness, I own a, a pretty solid amount of Darkness books because they were always just so well done. Anyway, last bit of movie news to wrap things up on the small screen side of things. They have cast Black Canary for Arrow for the upcoming season. Everybody thought that Laurel Lance, played by Katie Cassidy, would be the one to become Black Canary, but it seems they're going to go with Katie Lotz. She will be playing Dinah Drake in season two, and she'll start out as a recurring role and then move into a series regular. Of course, um, Dinah Drake was created by Rob Kaniger and Carmine Infantino, um, ranked on Wizard as one of the 71st greatest comic book characters of all time. Uh, Lotz... If you are not familiar with her work, she was in Mad Men. Uh, she was in MTV's Death Valley. She's supposed to be in Battle of the Year coming out next year. So she joins newly cast Summer Glau, who is also joining that series as well. So there you have it, ladies and gents. That is going to wrap up this week's show. And uh, yeah, need some air conditioning. So let's take it home. You've just heard My Take Radio episode 192. For Thursday, July 18th, 2013. If you have any feedback, 
questions or concerns or would like to write for us, you can email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at mytakeradio, become a fan on Facebook, and add us to your circle on Google+. You can get the full My Take Radio experience by picking up the My Take Radio app for Android and iOS devices. It's $1.99 for Android in the Amazon Marketplace and also $1.99 for iOS devices in iTunes. You can also listen to My Take Radio via Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, Zoom Marketplace, TuneIn Radio, and iTunes as well. There you have it, guys. As always, on behalf of myself, Slick, Mortis, Andrea, Quark and Blade, and of course, Ben and Jay Santee, I am out of here. I will catch you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Peace. That's all, folks. What do we got to take us out this week? You know what? Let's go with Street Fighter 2's Frets of Fury by Vertex Guy, available at ocremix.org. The letter O, the letter C, remix.org.